Hello. Do I have to use this? Yeah. Okay. No, I don't. I have this, right? Oh, no, no. You have to use it. Yeah. I have to use this even though I have this? Yes. That is for recording. Oh, <laughs> okay. I got you. No, I got it. Um, all right. Well, uh, it's really good to be with you all. I'm not really sure that I'm the best person to be here tonight. Um, of course, Nick promised me I would be on a panel tonight. Uh, uh, with a few other people. I just have to say a few things about my experience uh, in contemplative practice, and so here I am. Here you are, the panel of one, right? So, um, but what I, and I also probably, he probably shared with me all the breakdown of the weeks that you guys have talked about, uh, the different angles that you've taken into talking about um, mystical tradition and life, uh, contemplative life. Um, but I think I would like to hear some of that from you so that I can kind of orient myself in this conversation a little bit with you. Um, so I, there's a, just a little piece of paper at the table. And basically what I'm hoping you do at your table is to just share together. I'm hoping that some of you have attended a few of these, right? And that there's something that stood out to you in the, in the larger conversation about, um, about mysti the mystical life and the contemplative life that that's really stood out to you and stuck with you. Um, maybe it's a simple definition. Um, maybe it was uh, a story someone shared. I don't know. But would you think about that for a minute and spend some time in your circle sharing that with each other? And then I'd like to hear some of that back. Okay, so could you spend a few minutes together? Uh, the questions are there. I don't know exactly how I've worded them. Um, how did the speakers... Uh, <laughs> I, didn't even, I didn't even write it very right well, did I? How did they help your understanding of the contemplative life and practice? What did they have to say to you? And have you gained some clarity about the relationship between contemplation and action? I assume some of those speakers spoke, touched on that a little bit in their, in their conversation. So the quote's for later, so you can ignore it or you can read it if you want. But yeah, just spend a few moments reflecting back and, think, and sharing that with each other, okay? I think I'll come around with the mic to a couple of the tables and maybe you can share, offer up some of the things you chatted about um, to kind of give us some perspective of how the larger conversation has gone. Why don't we start back? I think this only works in a certain part of the room or no? Will it take me all the way back here? How about this table? Somebody here want to say something about? I just feel the back. Well, we're all new here. You're all new? Yeah. Okay, but it looks like you want to say something. Know, Look at you. you yeah. <laughs> See that? Threatening me with the. Hi, everyone. I'm Peter, a first time uh, here. Uh, I missed it, all of these, uh, but I'm excited about this topic and I'm excited as what I'd love to read here and happen, but just the idea of contemplation mm -hmm. and action. I was just sharing, I'm a big Rich Dwarf fan. All in on that. Mm -hmm. so I'm spending a lot of time with some podcasts and some books about it, so I'm not yeah. deep yet, but I'm really super interested. So this is a good. I'm excited about coming. Yeah, and you know we bring something to that conversation already. You don't have to have come to this gathering. So I wonder if, from your readings and your interest, recent interests, is there something, maybe when you think of the word contemplation, that I don't know, if you were to explain it to somebody at the table, is there something that you said or that you would like to offer up? Yeah. Going process for me, but um, mm -hmm. yeah, just presence is the big word, mm -hmm. um, and so that 
phrase, I'm not going to get it right, but I just keep hearing from like a Jim mm-hmm. Finley, James Finley, is uh, mm-hmm. uh, during the podcast stuff, is like God infinitely presencing himself in the presence of those around me in the world, mm. around me and in me. So mm. it's a version of that that I'm trying to get in my head around. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Peter. Yeah. Um, Contemplation is a word, I don't know about you, but I've struggled to associate myself as a contemplative or as a mystic, right? And I think, um, so when we start to talk about this in terms of our own spiritual practice, it is something that often feels quite intimidating, but we want to keep that just in our common language and simplicity is really important to the heart of understanding, I think, what the practices are, right? Um, Let's see, let me go over this table. Anything you all would like to share over here? Can I give it a shot? No? Not this time? You want to try? Um, yeah. I, mean, I was just thinking that contemplation, I think it's listening. Okay. So I've been involved in a number of contemplative groups. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's in, it's, it isn't a, a, a pattern that's necessarily tied to anyone religion or denomination, mm-hmm. Buddhists have contemplation. Mm-hmm. And you look at the great Christian mystics, a lot of them were influenced by the Buddhists, mm-hmm. Thomas Merton and so forth, mm-hmm. or had conversation with them. But I think it's, it's uh, listening and it's, it's almost nonverbal. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there is a communication, I think, that takes place between people when they're quiet. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I've been in a, a number of situations like that. And it's very profound mm-hmm. and it's very refreshing. Mm-hmm. And I haven't been here for a long time, but I, I think when I came here before COVID uh, pandemic to this group, I think this group has some of that elements mm. in one of the services. So that's, I think you, I mean, you, you have it. Mm. Lots of people are gonna have it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Thank you. Sure. Yeah. And I'm realizing I'm handing this microphone around. Is that okay? I forget. Is it, uh, if you're uncomfortable with that, okay. Uh, if you don't, if you want me to hold it, that's fine too. Um, how about this table, since I'm here? Um, so I think I was here for the entire mm-hmm. series, and <clears throat> what I was telling the table that stood out to me was um, Suzangeline, what's her last name? Patrick. Mm. She shared like a lot from her own experience, and I think talked about beauty in a way, and finding mm. um, connection with the divine through things like her cat. Mm. Um, lived experiences in a way that I felt like really captured the heart of, of mysticism mm. um, and brought it into a space that's not just for a select few that have been like mm-hmm. given that power by God, but it's more mm-hmm. of a, a connectedness with mm. self, God, other beings. Mm-hmm. Um, more than some of the other speakers that offered like great information, but it did kind of feel like information. Although, mm-hmm. can you share what you shared, Britt? Um, Britt commented on a the Kevin Kelly did a a few like meditative practices, mm. like just um, grounding practices, and I think it was the like a breathing exercise that really like mm. resonated. And I remember that too. I felt mm. like those moments that um, in this series that brought me into my body seemed mm-hmm. to be, um, yeah, just that's the stuff that's sticking with me, which mm. I'm, I'm feeling is fitting mm. for the series. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. That's great. 
Anyone else? Um, let me head over to this table. Some at this table want to share something? don't have much more to add, I guess, but the, what was the one, the Thich on breathing, breathing in, I, what was it, do you remember, oh. call my body, breathing out, I smile, hmm. it was a good reminder, I heard that one a few years ago, but it's been a long time, and, um, hmm. I think I was saying that um, I've studied these sorts of connections between con contemplation and action for a long time, and mm -hmm. every time I come back to like these kinds of to our gatherings, what we had over the past couple months, just like, oh yeah, I need this reminder. Mm -hmm. Oh yes, contemplation and just slowing down mm. in silence is so needed. So mm. those reminders, I welcome them anytime. Mm. It was very helpful to have that. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. I, I think that helps me to orient a little bit. Um, and I really don't have anything um, to add as far as the contemplative life in terms of the descriptions that you've given. Um, you know, mystics, the simple definition that I've appreciated and that I do resonate with is our desire to move more deeply into loving God and loving each other, which sounds a lot like just being Christian, right? which is one of the openings that I uh, have been trying to accept uh, in my own journey. Because um, we often, I, I love uh, some of the heroes of faith in my particular tradition, Christian tradition. I love that you know, Desmond Tutu passed this last year and uh, he's been a big influence in my own faith journey. Um, and we really, we really put them out there and we try to understand what is it that made their lives so dynamic and and uh, distinctive, and where do they find the courage and, and the perseverance and the love and the ongoing commitment, and continue to express that out of a, like a contemplative posture in their life that was unspoken and didn't need to be spoken, right? Um, and I think it, what's been helpful for me is to accept the fact that um, part of it in the mystical tradition is this, this awareness of this, this uh, idea that we all are called to love God more deeply and to love our neighbor more deeply. Those that we think are exemplary act, uh, uh, examples of that are really just people that God has graced in a different way. Um, and that really has nothing to do with that person. It's, it's the gift that that person was given to live out their life. Your gift is to live out your contemplative life in action in the world to move more deeply toward divine love and to move more deeply toward loving each other and loving people in your circles and in your world. Um, and whatever that ends up looking like in your life journey uh, is you being faithful to that gift. Um, and I think that's really, really helpful for me. And to be a contemplative does require what many of you have named. Uh, contemplative practice uh, or many mystics entered into their grace gift um, through silence. And I think, uh, so, you know, I'm sure that we all have many practices of silence. We were perhaps exposed to various forms of prayer in our life. For the mystic, um, for the contemplative life, uh, as many of you already know, and many of you practice, um, 
it's this wordless trusting, uh, this wordless opening up of ourself to, to God, to divine love. And how do we nurture that? Uh, how do we nurture the inner, inner silence that we need in our life if we're not committed to that, um, consenting to that silence in some way? And so it's, it's seen as the deeper form of prayer, but not the only form of prayer, and not, not necessarily the most important. Other expressions of prayer are, are essential. The simple prayers that we were grown up with, prayers from scripture, prayers from traditions. Um, but this is seen as the simplest and the deepest form of prayer in the life of the contemplative. So, and I'll just say, like, uh, if, for my own practice, um, one of the things that I find that may be, that I don't hear other people talk about, or maybe I do, but I just know that is really deeply meaningful to me is uh, I'm an early morning person. And what I've come to discover about the mornings um, is I love the darkness of the morning. Um, the quiet, I love the quiet of the morning, but there's something about the darkness uh, that really, uh, oftentimes I've felt like I'm in a womb, uh, and I find deep comfort in that darkness. And there are traditions that invite you to get up in the middle of the night and pray, perhaps for that very reason. And something I'm going to say later, I think, tap, taps into that darkness. But there's something about the darkness that opens up, opens me up to God's embrace in the way that I imagine that I feel like I'm in the womb of God. And uh, that's the only way I've come to describe it. And it, it's oftentimes it's just a sense of presence of being with God that I don't really find in other spaces of my day or my life. Um, so I think um, what I would like to share with you or what I thought as we try to connect this uh, contemplative contemplation and action expression that we are all uh, maybe as part of our goal in our journey it's just like a couple of lessons that I've learned about it um, or what's been meaningful about it for me over these years uh, in the work that we've done. And that, first of all, um, you know, it's beautiful to talk about silence, but I find silence to be extremely difficult. Uh, and I, I measure uh, that's <laughs> I measure that with... Uh, uh, with all the ways that I project and perceive myself to be in the world, right? What, what's the value of what I'm doing? Uh, am I failing at silence? Why, why doesn't this feel like God's present with me? What, what's happening here? What's supposed to be happening here? Lots of just on certain days I feel deeply settled into it. And on other days, even after five or ten years of practice, wondering, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? You know, the kind of constant doubt and edginess that you feel. And the language of consent has really been a beautiful um, tool for me, I guess, uh, word for me. So to sense that my coming before God in whatever way I do uh, through the contemplative side of my life is just me consenting. And whatever happens there, uh, my spiritual director has been very helpful at reminding me, uh, well, you, ha you, were in, uh, you had the intent to be with God. And that intent, no matter what happened in that moment, whether your mind was running around, uh, whether you had you know, the squirrels, as my friend says, squirrels running around in your brain during that whole time, uh, whether you fell asleep during that practice, that particular practice, whether you got your list out and started making notes for yourself and just kind of like totally got diverted, um, or whether you didn't even get up to your clock or whenever you might practice, uh, stop for the moment that you might do it, um, your intent 
is, a, is the beginning of that consent. Your intent to live a life of openness to the divine, to create space in your life for silence, is the beginning of that consent. And that's really all we have to do. That's really all we have to do, and that's really all we're trying to be in those spaces is available to God and what God has for us. And that's really, that's really helped me out a lot. Um, and it reminds us that, you know, sometimes it's easy to get, create some kind of formula out of contemplation and action, right? That somehow contemplation is going to do something for our action. Uh, I do think it does do something for action, but not like a means to an end. There's not like a direct line through what we're doing in our prayer life, in our silence, in our space, into our uh, activism or our, our presence in the world. And so learning to let that go that there's somehow, and yet not learning to allow that to diminish the importance of the practice is a part of the beauty of it. This quote is probably the best thing that speaks to that for me. I'm sure many of you have heard it before. If you haven't, it's from uh, the monk Thomas Merton. Thomas Merton, who is a person who has a, had a huge influence on the circles that I, I live in, uh, the peace and justice circles. Everybody reads Thomas Merton at some point in their journey, right? And yet here's a man who was a hermit. <laughs> he didn't leave the monastery unless he was given permission. Uh, he spent very little time doing anything but writing, and, uh, and yet he had, uh, yet his writings were so influential, not just to um, understanding the, uh, the gospel in terms of peace and justice, for example, but in creating a spirituality of faith practice all around that, that drew people into a deeper tradition that he was a part of, um, uh, as well as uh, inspiring them to continue to move forward. He wasn't there. He wasn't marching with Martin Luther King Jr. He wasn't uh, going to uh, uh, St. Joseph's house in New York and handing out food with Dorothy Day. He was writing letters to them, and he was praying, and he was living his life, but he had a huge impact. So I wonder if somebody could read this quote for us. Maybe somebody close to me I can give a, how about this table you didn't get to talk for? Do you mind reading? Comfortable with that? Right there. My Lord God, I have no idea where I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end. Nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I am following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope that I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may not know, though I may know nothing about it. Hmm. Thank you. What a quote, huh? Um, and I'm glad to let someone respond to that, but this line here, I believe the desire to please you, the desire to please you, does in fact please you, and I hope I have that desire in all that I'm doing. I don't know where I'm going. My life feels so mysterious to me some days, but I believe that that desire that, that you have gifted me with is, brings, uh, brings you joy, brings you pleasure, and helps me to move forward. Uh, and that is consent. That is consent. Um, 
I think the second thing that I've learned uh, that I would like to share with you is um, we, we maybe feel, or at least I've expressed already tonight, this sense that um, contemplative feels like a big word to me. I often feel very uh, uncomfortable with identifying with it. Um, uh, it's a word we wrestle with, what is contemplation? But when it comes to action, we think we know what that looks like, right? We think we know what action or activism uh, or engagement with the world looks like. That's something that we've never really questioned. But I think what I've learned over the years is that the contemplative life actually continues to scandalize everything I think action looks like or is, right? Um, We give ourselves over to really important work, uh, anti-racism work, um, work against um, the lack of affordable housing, uh, LGBTQ work in our community, in ourselves, in our, in our own institutions, um, anti-poverty work, whatever it might be. Uh, and we kind of get on the movement energy and we move forward and, and yet, I think what, uh, and I know that like in the first um, seasons of my life, when that was happening, I almost, and I came from a very fundamentalist background, okay? Uh, things were very clear and uh, direct in that world, but things were very clear uh, and black and white, or whatever a better expression of that is, in, 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 the, in the peace and justice world, right? And sometimes I felt like I was being the same person just with a different set of um, issues, perhaps, or from a different side of the street, perhaps. Um, I'm not saying that very well, but, uh, but over time, things got continually more complex and challenging. You know, what, look, you know, uh, what look nonviolence looked like in my life and in our community life and in our society was very simple at the beginning, and then it became more and more and more layered, more and more um, hidden, uh, more and more hidden within me, uh, layered within me, as well as in the community that I thought was expressing alternatives to that, right? Um, so I think it was the contemplative life, I know it was the contemplative life that helped me to re, has helping, is helping me continue to redefine what it means to be in the world. Um, because we think we know what we're supposed to be doing and we think maybe perhaps, maybe perhaps, uh, you know, we found that in, in silence and then that gives us somehow energy to endure what we, the hard, grueling, brave, courageous, sacrificial work that we have to do. But then I remember Thomas Merton or I remember Howard Thurman, right? Who many of us didn't know, um, for you know, a couple of years, and now he's becoming, again, more brought to our awareness. But Martin Luther King Jr. knew him, right? And carried his little book, Jesus and the Disinherited, around with him. That was written, that was like a, a taste of liberation theology before there was such a thing called liberation theology. There was this little book that he wrote. And Howard Thurman never marched. Howard Thurman um, didn't engage in public, at least not in the ways that a lot of activists did. But Howard Thurman was, the, uh, the mystical presence and strength. Uh, he was kind of a nature mystic um, behind a lot of the leaders of the civil rights movement. 
Is that action? Is the work that he did uh, nurturing uh, the, the generation of leadership in the civil rights movement action? You know? I can be critical of people who aren't out on the streets with me or engaged in day-to-day -day kind of direct hospitality and seeing the struggles and the suffering as well as the joy and the relationships. Um, uh, but maybe action looks something more complex and less binary, right or wrong, good or bad. And uh, the Knipple of Life has helped me to, to be more open to that. The last thing that I think, which I think follows from that is um, the contemplatives embrace the fact that the more you journey through silence into that union with divine love, um, you move there because you realize that God is, there's so much about God we don't know, right? The hiddenness of God is really important in the contemplative tradition. Not because it's an important thing to believe about God, like, oh, this is one of the attributes of God. But because the more we hope to see God in our work, in our world, in our life, sometimes we continue to not see God. Or the things that we think about God, the, the, there's a lot of, uh, there's one way that the Eastern Christians mostly talk about this, or early uh, church fathers and desert mothers and fathers, the, um, the negative way, the, the way, the negative way, the via negativa, or the apophatic theology, which means in reality, even though we have a faith and we have a commitment to that faith, perhaps, what we learn is that there's very little we know how to say. Mostly what we can say about God is what we can't say about God, right? God is not this. God is not that. God is not something else. There's so much that becomes incomprehensible to us. And we start so sure and clear in our convictions and where we're heading in our, in, in our understanding of our relationship with God. And then we, the more we get into it, the more we realize, well, I'm not sure I understand that. Or perhaps we have this... Um, this moment of, uh, for some of the mystics, for example, they went through long periods of desolation, right? Of real darkness in their life, and that's, I guess, pulls me back to that idea of darkness, um, where they felt like God was absent from them. You know, we, many of you may know the story of Mother Teresa in that way, right? That she had this period, long period of her life where she feel like, felt like she was deeply distant from God or God was not present to her. God was absent to her. And this is actually, for the mystics, part of the journey toward divine love for some of them. And some of them, this is deeply definitive of their, most of their journey, that, um, that what they thought they knew about God, they don't. And in fact, God feels deeply distant from them. And if you have been doing your work long enough, you have probably come to some moment like that where uh, maybe just out of pure exhaustion, like I have been fighting um, the racism in my institution or in my circles, or I have been um, on the streets active on, the, on behalf of people who are, don't have homes. Uh, uh, I've been fighting for LGBTQ inclusivity in my community and I'm tired and I'm frustrated. I'm giving up, I feel desperate, I feel alone. Um, God, where are you? You know, I thought if I lived this faithful life that somehow I would begin to see openings, light shining into some of these dark places, some, some change. And yet, even when we do have successes, oftentimes what do we feel? We feel that they're overturned 
or that, some, that the uh, challenge just comes at a new angle or reemerges in a new way. Um, uh, as we've seen, for example, if you, I know this community has been very involved in Stand Up KC, right? Every time we get a success, then there's new pushback, right? That, over time, that becomes very overwhelming. And in the contemplative, it, it can begin to erode your sense of, God, where are you, right? And I think that many of us have experienced that. And yet, the mystic says that is part of the journey. That is part of um, what it means to be open and consenting to the way God works in the world because we don't understand entirely the way God is at work in our world. And that's okay. That's okay. And to embrace that unknowability of God doesn't mean we can't say anything about God. For example, we say John, in, in one of the letters of John, he loves to talk about God is love. It's a beautiful treatise on God's divine love, right? And yet, how does God love? How does God love in the kind of conflicts we deal with or the kind of evils that we experience? Uh, the more that we unpeel those and unpack those, it becomes challenging to us. Um, so, the contemplative life out in the world as an activist says to continue to embrace the mystery and be open to where it takes you. And I think this, uh, I'll just close to say, um, this should draw us into deep humility. Deep humility about, about who we are and what we're doing. And I mean humility in the, same, in the best sense of that word. I mean, you think about it, to love someone that you really... Um, struggle with, someone that you really do see as an enemy of your work, an enemy in your life, uh, an, a person that generates a lot of conflict with you that's on the opposite side of your perspective. Uh, I think the love from divine love does require a lot of humility because uh, somebody mentioned listening. It requires us to listen to that person. It requires us not to dehumanize that person or that group or that situation. Um, and the contemplative life and embracing the fact that there's so much about God that we don't know and we don't understand, I think um, generates in us the humility that we need to be with those people in our life and with ourselves in our own failings. So I don't know, those are just a couple of the things that I've, I've learned. Um, I hope they speak to you in some way. And I don't know if we have time to, for people to offer up some of their own stories or respond in some way. If some time, would somebody, somebody have something they want to share or say to that? Or maybe some of the struggles that, or some of the learnings that you've had in your contemplative journey as it relates to you as a person of action. Nick's got some. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just really appreciated the, your reflection on how contemplation scandalizes action, mm. like that, that one's gonna stick with me for a little mm. bit because, I mean, just thinking through, like lived at, lived at Cherrybrook for five years mm -hmm. and it wasn't until after my time at Cherrybrook really that I woke up to the kind of white saviorism that I was exhibiting mm -hmm. the whole, literally the entire time that I was there, mm -hmm. uh, as well as like some of the anti-blackness mm -hmm. that, that I would have been, uh, that was kind of baked into me there. Mm -hmm. um, just all this stuff, just waking up to uh, just the realities of whiteness and white supremacy mm -hmm. culture, as well as white saviorism, mm -hmm. like all these things. 
And so all of a sudden the action, uh, there's began to become more and more depth uh, mm -hmm. to it, way mm -hmm. more layers. I realized mm -hmm. I was waking up to way more of my own blind spots, mm -hmm. uh, which is better. Like I'm learning about yeah. myself. Uh, and I'm a big believer in like what sister, uh, or not sister, <laughs> I know so many Sister Teresa's that I'm just like, <laughs> Teresa of Avila. Uh -huh. um, she talks about how we can only know God as much as we know ourselves mm -hmm. and vice versa. And so as I get to know myself more, um, mm. it allows me, it gives me greater capacity to love. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and so, yeah, I really appreciate mm -hmm. that particular mm -hmm. piece. You know, the, sca the scandal sometimes comes when uh, here you are headed out to, um, you know, you want to go in, and to, uh, into public and do the work that's so important and so essential, and yet you're sitting, you walk into the door of your own community, you realize, well, it's just all right here. <laughs> why, why do I need to go out into the streets to, to protest this? You know, he protests too much because it's right here in our midst. It's right here in our own um in our own existence. It's right here in my own, in my own self in some way. Um, and I think that's deeply humbling, right? And I think, I think the contemplative life does give us not only the humility to see that, but also the courage to live with both, uh, both and, right? That uh, there's a synthesis there that says, well, yes and, yes and yes, we need to, to live into both deeply. Um, that's good, thank you, Nick. Someone else? How about, how about the young adult table back here? I bet you guys have something. I was supposed to sit at this table, so, you know. But I was too old to sit here, I think. Anybody have something you want to share about what you guys talked about? Oh, sure. this may not work back here. Oh, here it goes. Charles. Uh, first of all, thanks, Eric. Um, yeah. You don't even really have to give a talk because your mic is your talk. Um, we were talking about... I think try it. Can people hear? Yeah, I'm not sure if it's hear. working. It's kind of in and out. Oh, there we is go. Is that better? Yeah. yeah. Um, we were talking about um, how consent, you talked about consent, and, and it sounds like very much like, you know, myself being involved in the recovery community and 12-step. Mm. Uh, willingness. I mean, willingness is everything, mm. and willingness turns the key, and it's not so much that we're effective, but it's uh, that we're willing. And then secondly, we just talked about how contagious it can be. This guy right here said that Westport Shower House probably wouldn't exist without Cherith Brook because we go by faith. And so when a few people step out and do things in faith, then other people step forward, you know, like, and like Dorothy Day, it's like, and they get inspired and they say, mm -hmm. oh, well, I have this. Well, I have this gift. Well, I have this resource. I'm mm -hmm. good at this. And then mm -hmm. the next thing you know, you have, you know, a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you want to speak? No. All right. Thank you. Yes. Uh, we had a bit of a discussion about silence mm. in the contemplative um, world and practice and how the importance of silence and it came up about Peter talked about how silence could be more needed in Western contemplative practice hmm. because of the need to stop analyzing and intellectualizing whereas lots of Eastern practices are more already embodied um, but yeah just hmm. why the 
the role of silence in contemplative mm. practice and why it comes up so much. Mm. Thank you. Yeah, and actually Eastern Christian practice is equally more open to silence. And um, uh, so, you know, the, the Christian tradition is so rich beyond the Western expression of it. And even within certain Western circles, there are, so there, there's such a, within traditions and, and, and throughout traditions, there are, there's depth for, for this kind of practice. And uh, it's not a new thing by any means, right? Thank you. Somebody else want to say something? Yeah, right. Ah, yeah. Here you go. Well, I was just thinking about something. I've, I've heard a lot of sermons in my life, like, but I don't remember many of them. <laughs> but I do remember one that was given that I heard. Go ahead and put it up closer to Yeah, there you go. 50 years ago in New York City. I was a student there. So it was the late 60s, and it was a time of a lot of uh, unrest, civil rights, and, this, and the anti-war movement was really weird. And it was really confusing, and it got pretty nasty, actually. And schools shut down, we stopped attending classes, and all of that stuff. So, um, but the, a man came to speak to us, and I, I've never forgotten him, and he's, he's kind of surprising because you wouldn't think about, um, you know, how he could, Reach people, ordinary people, and it was the Archbishop of Canterbury, of all people. Michael Ramsey was his name. He was the 100th Archbishop of Canterbury. And if you can visualize it, uh, what they used to say in Hollywood was that if Hollywood were casting the Archbishop, they'd cast Michael Ramsey as himself. He looked just like the way you think an Archbishop should look. You know, some people have that look. But anyway, he was talking up there, and the one thing he said in the sermon, he said, um, he talked about everybody, everybody was, was involved, just the whole campus, uh, school there in New York, and um, New York City. And um, he said, I just wonder if people can sustain this interest without a deep spiritual life. And he says, I don't think you can do it. So he didn't you know, define the spiritual life, and I think that there are many paths to follow, many ways of doing it, really. But I think it's just essential for activism and I've never forgotten that. Hmm. I still see him standing there in his robes. And this book. God, he looked like a Hollywood character, except he was this Archbishop of Canada. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that, I think that's uh, really some strong wisdom of the synergy between contemplation and action, right? Uh, there, when I first uh, joined uh, the Catholic Worker, we were at a place called The Open Door. Um, and we had some, a speaker come and talk about a man named Mitch Schneider. I bet Charles knows who Mitch Schneider is. Uh, and Mitch Schneider was kind of a, a, ta a, a, t a cautionary tale in the activist world because, um, and you can Google him, you can find articles about him, but uh, Mitch Schneider was this radical um, person who was gonna solve the problems of homelessness in the United States. He was committed to nonviolence, he created an a community in Washington, D.C. called something like Creative Nonviolence or something like that. Uh, it was a shelter for like a thousand homeless people. He lived in the shelter with the people. He traveled all over the world, all over the United States, inviting. In fact, he came to speak to the people that originally, that eventually founded the Open Door Catholic Worker, where I kind of uh, started our, my journey uh, in the Catholic Worker anyway. Um, well, he became so... Um, 
I think he continued to escalate in his own life, his intensity toward his activism and his anger toward the lack of change, um, that he, he was found dead in that shelter by suicide uh, because, he, because of the way that it overtook him, I guess I would say. And I don't know a lot of the details of the story, but like I said, in the activist community that I had been a part of, that it was, Mitch was kind of a cautionary tale. This is why, this is what happens, or this can be a part, and I don't know Mitch's whole story, it could be more complicated than that. But, um, but people use that as a reminder of, of the need to be rooted uh, in communities like yours when you're doing your work. Which is another thing they say about mystics, right? Most of the mystics we know of were deeply rooted in a community. We kind of see them as these isolated figures, don't we? That um, stand out on their own, uh, on their own qualities or their own expression of, uh, of, of faith. But they were deeply rooted and supported in communities. And that was an important part of, of, of how they experienced God's silence. Silence with God and the absence and hiddenness of God was all... Uh, surrounded by people who loved them deeply and who, who uh, supported them or in the worshiping communities that they were participated in. So someone else, one last one maybe? Someone else wants to share something you reflected on in your circle? Okay, yeah. Hey, Eric. We talked a lot about the sort of dark side of the soul and mm. um, And, and just how each of us in our own lives have sort of experienced this, uh, which was both necessary and uncomfortable and, and brought us to kind of where we are today. So we each got a chance to kind of hmm. think back through the times in our lives where we uh, just didn't feel like it was working anymore, that it wasn't hmm. how we grew up in the ways that of our thinking didn't make sense anymore. And uh, particularly that when it comes to religion, that it just seems so necessary, but also uh, just not practiced enough. Mm. Mm. Thank you, Eric. Did you want to say something as well? Yeah. And you get to be our last one. How's that? You get to, you get to be the final word here. It kind of goes in and out, Taylor, so I don't know. Um, well, so the thing, when we were talking about contemplative action, the, the action piece stood out to me in thinking about um, like non-traditional ways of showing up in action. Because hmm. um, I know for me, at least in some parts of my life, I've kind of thought about the things that I feel like I should be doing in order to do something that would contribute in a meaningful way, um, hmm. as opposed to finding the opportunities that already exist in my life in order hmm. to show up in a way that would be beneficial to you know whatever groups that I happen to be a part of. Um, I mean, one of the one of the persons that you know jumped in my mind was like Simone Biles uh, in the Olympics in the last year. You know, you know, she is built to be a gymnast. That's who she is. Mm. And just by living that experience and getting to this point, she now ends up being like 
one of the best advocates for mental health that we have out there and started a movement amongst like lots of athletes for that. Um, so it just made me think of like reframing partially through contemplation and understanding yourself what the should is versus like just trusting that it'll kind of find you through the course of your life without having to grasp so much to figure out mm. what that action step might be best for you. Mm. Mm. Thank you, Taylor. That was very well said and a great way to end our, our night together. Thank you very much. Yeah. Well, God bless you all and uh, continue to pray for your life as a community together, the synthesis of of uh, silence and action in our world. And uh, thank you for the privilege of being here today. Appreciate it.